0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and I'm going to begin to read in verse 13. In fact, I'm just going to read verse 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 and I'm reading for the ESV, so if it reads a little different from your Bible, it's okay. First John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Father, I do thank you for the privilege of bringing your truth. You know I don't take it lightly. And I ask, Lord, that only the truth will be spoken here. I pray, Lord, you prepare our hearts to hear what your word says. And I pray, Lord, that you would, this message would edify the body. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here that's not in Christ, Father, or someone that hears this message, Lord, that you would open their heart like you did Lydia. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At the age of 14, in the town of Columbus, Mississippi, I walked the aisle of a Southern Baptist church. If I remember, it was Fairview Baptist Church, and made a profession of faith. And for a few years, it appeared that the profession was genuine. I, and when. Guys my age were chasing women. I, were, I was on the phone with them, preaching the gospel to them. But about age 18, things began to change. Maybe my hormones kicked in, I don't know. And for the next 20 years, I didn't care what God thought. As a matter of fact, I practiced sin. And it's by his grace and mercy, you, re- you do not realize how much you're looking at grace right now. The fact that I'm standing in a pulpit with the privilege of preaching the word is grace upon grace. I didn't, I, after 20 years, I didn't go seeking God. He came after me. And it's by his mercy and grace that he saved me. I'll never forget when I started going back to church at age 38. I was I would ask people, was I saved? Did, was I saved? And I never really got an answer. They didn't know how to answer. If someone asked me that today, I point him to the book of 1 John. You want to know if you're saved? John says That he wrote these things so that you can know so that you can know that you have eternal life. So the question is, well, what did he write? What is it that he wrote? And we'll, as a matter of fact, when he says, write these things, he's actually, John likes to say this in in many parts of the Of this epistle, he'll he say things like, uh, "We're writing these things, or I'm writing these things." As a matter of fact, in First John one four, he says, "We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete." He says, and in First John two one, he says, "My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin." And then in verse twenty one of that same chapter, he says, "I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it." And no truth is of a lie. And he continues in verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. John likes to do that. As a matter of fact, at the end of his gospel, he writes similar words. He says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So now I ask the question, what is it that he wrote that tells us that we have eternal life? Well, we can stay in chapter 5 and go to the beginning of the chapter and just put put verse 13 in context and the, the question is answered the first, the first thing he writes is that in verse 1 everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God I think the NASB says is born of God but it has been born of God as a matter of fact in verse uh, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, he says, But this you know, by this you know that the Spirit of God, know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So John is saying those that are born of God, they believe that Jesus is the Christ, meaning the Messiah, that promised Messiah that all Jews were waiting for, and that also that he's come in the flesh and that was important John is writing in a context where there was a very popular religion of the day called Gnosticism which was based on dualism which said that everything that was material was evil and everything that was spiritual was good which destroys the incarnation it destroys the incarnation So John is writing, and this was very popular. I'm reading a book now called Two Thousand Years of Christ's Power, which talks this early church history, and Gnosticism was a big deal. In the first century, the devil was busy. But when you read this in verse one. Some people might read everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God as a prescriptive, like a prescription for eternal life, for being born of God. That's not what it's saying. It's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It's descriptive. Everyone that's born of God believes that Jesus is the Christ. And I think that you could go put this in the context of the Bible, and we can find out that belief belief is a is a work of God. As a matter of fact, in Philippians one twenty nine, we read this: writing to Christians, he says, "For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ." You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Belief is granted to you. Wow, that's humbling. That ought to wake you up. This isn't a foreign concept, that even belief, that being born of God is something that God does, not because Man wants it, in, in John chapter one, verse 12, we read this, "But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God." That sounds prescriptive almost, until he says, "Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God." It wasn't my idea, it was not my idea, to be saved. It was God's. Hallelujah. I tremble when I think about that. Because God would have been just and righteous if he would have left me in my sin. But he didn't. He's a gracious and a good God. In John chapter 6, we read in verse 44 that no one can come to me, Jesus is saying this, unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And in verse 45, it's written, it is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is the work of God. Even more startling, these these verses just are, are startling to me. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Who believed? the ones that were appointed to eternal life. This is incredible. This is why John writes, those that are born of God, they believe. They just do. I know early in my Christian walk, I was reading, well actually I was listening to a sermon by a man who has had a profound effect on me Never met him. His name is John MacArthur. You might know him. And it was the series called The Gospel According to Jesus. It was a it was game changer for me. I would encourage you. You can read the book. Or you can listen to the sermon series. But in it, it, it basically it's about the lordship of Jesus. That when you get saved, when you are saved, that there's a change in your life. And it's a change that God does. But there were people that would push back on that. In fact, he talks about it. He said, and I'll just quote, A few have, ever take, a few have taken the absurd position that a born-again person may un, ultimately turn away from Christ in, into unbelief, deny God, and become an atheist, yet still possess eternal life. One writer invented the term for such people... Unbelieving believers. This is a real thing. Those kind of people do not have a high view of scripture, apparently. They may say they do, but they do not. Because in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus says... Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. But there is more to belief by the way, more, more to being born of God than just belief. There's a businessman. In this town, and I won't mention who he is and what he does. I don't want to give it away. But I do business with him, and he proudly displays that Jesus saves to his patrons. So we got in a, it's not unthinkable that we would get in a conversation about God, and he tried to convince me that you can believe. But your life doesn't have to reflect that belief. And he was adamant about it. And I listened to him for a little bit, and then I just said, but what about 1 John three ten? By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil, who does not practice righteousness, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And he quickly changed the subject. John is very clear about this. In fact, in John, 1 John 2, 29, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That's how you know. The righteousness doesn't make you born of him. Being born of him will be there. The righteousness will be there. In 1 John 3, verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. This is clear. So John says people born of God, they believe. They believe. But in verse 1, he continues. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him and you can equate to loves the father to being born of God you can't love the father unless you've been born of God but he's saying if you're born of God you love whoever has been born of him in other words you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what people born of God do. And this permeates John's epistle. I mean, permeates it. First John chapter two, verse ten whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in there, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. First John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart in him, how does God's love abide in him? He asks. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, he says. For who, For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And then in the Gospel of John, we read the words of Jesus that say, a new commandment I give to you, And, of course, the old commandment is this. We read about this in 1 John. The old commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, right? But here's the the old commandment that is also a new commandment. John says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how you know people are Christian. By the way they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't ignore this. This is the evidence. Back in 1 John, look at verse 2. How do we know we love the children of God? He says it here, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, he says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So he's saying, uh, how do you know that you love the children of God? Well, you can know this by loving God and keeping his commandments. And then he clarifies this in verse 3. For this is the love of God. Okay, what's the love of God? That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. And I think you should note what the Bible says about God's commandments, about his law. Let's just very quickly look at Psalm 19 and verse 7. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than they are of gold, even much Fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the drippings of a honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So I want you to notice, it's not like God is commanding us to drink poison. Is he? He's He's commanding us to keep a law that is perfect, that revives the soul, that is sure, that makes the wise simple, that, 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 that is right, that is pure, that enlightens the eyes, that's clean, and so on and so on. God is commanding you to do something that is wonderful, But Jesus repeated these this principle to God's children. In, in John fourteen, verse twenty one, he says, "Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, for I will love him and ma- manifest myself to him." And then he says in verse twenty three. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And then in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you, he says. And then Matthew 12, 50 for whoever desire, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Remember that? When they, his mom and, and the family was outside wanting to speak to him. And then in John 8, verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It's not just belief. But, but when he says, back in 1 John 5, 3, when he says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, it, it sounds, and he says, well, this is how we know we love the children, and we know, and we, know we love the children if we keep God's... It sounds circular, doesn't it? But I think the circle is broken... in the last part of verse 3 they're not a burden they're not a burden in other words it actually comes down to your motive if you will in 1st Chronicles 28 9 we read these words and you Solomon my son know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. In other words, He knows why you do what you do. He knows your motive. You know people, especially politicians, they have a way of doing things and making sure everybody knows that they're doing, but they're doing it for the glory of men. But we read here: if you seek Him, He will be found by you. If you forsake them forsake him, he will cast you off forever. You are to do it with a whole heart and a willing mind. Not a burden. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, and, and this is hyperbole by Paul, when he's trying to get the, the Corinthians to not desire the showy gifts, he says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So that tells us it's possible to appear loving and to even do things that are, wow, he did that, but not have the right motive, not done from genuine love. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness, verse 1, before other people in order to be seen by them, for then your then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And John writes in his epistle in chapter 3, 1 John 3, 18, he says, Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And Paul exhorts in Romans 12:9, "Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil; hold fast to what is good." In fact, the NKJV says it like this, "Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil; cling to what is good." One more, First Peter chapter 1, and verse 22, we read this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The word of God here is, is this is the key because he says that you've purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And we know Jesus says your word is truth, right? So you read this, that you've purified your souls by obedience to the truth for, and, and you could read this for the purpose of a sincere brotherly love. You obey God for the purpose of of displaying sincere brotherly love. And I guarantee you, every we could go back, if we had time, and we don't, but we could go back and look at the Greek in that the love is not some, some wishy-washy love that we have. The love is agape. It's, it's, it's sacrificial love. This is what people born of God do. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And you might say, well, yeah, but, you know, how do, how do I make it so it's not a burden? The psalmist has the answer for that. The Old Testament psalmist tells us that. In Psalm 119, verse 32, we read, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Do you know who the you is? God. Even in the Old Testament we see this. It's God that does the work. God puts the work in us. God changes us and enlarges our heart so that we can love the brothers like we're supposed to and not, and not be a burden. It's not a burden. So people born of God, they, they believe. They believe what the Bible says about Jesus. He's come in the flesh. They believe that he's the second person of the Trinity has always existed. He is co-equal with God, co-eternal with God. We believe that he's the son of God. Whatever the Bible says about Jesus, we believe it because we have eternal life, because we've been born of God. And people that have been born of God, they love, their, love others that have been born of God. It's just what we do because we're born of God. We don't do it to be born of God. We do it because we're born of God. And then back in 1 John again, we read this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Don't miss this. loving God has shown by keeping these commandments, and they're not a burdensome. And then he says in verse 4, he uses the word for, which is a transition to say, because of what I just said, Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world because, because frankly, sometimes it does feel, wow, like a burden, but it shouldn't. And if you're born of God, you'll overcome it. The four indicates the reason they're not burdensome is because people who love God have been born of God So what does it mean to overcome the world though Well we don't have to go outside of 1 John but I will very quickly because Peter says something in 2 Peter chapter 2 that's important Peter's chapter 2 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 19 he says they promise freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever for whatever overcomes a person is to that he is enslaved for if after they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are entangled in them again and and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than knowing, than after knowing it to turn back from a holy commandment delivered to them. And this... What a true proverb says has happened to them: the dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to waller in the mire. You know, when my, our dog throws up sometimes, and it's a lot she's a chocolate lab. she's a big dog, so it, there are a lot that comes out, and we don't have to clean it up right away because the dog will do it for us and then we just do the finish up. That's disgusting, isn't it? Yes. And so someone, someone who is still a slave to corruption, even if if they've been enlightened and they've known about the way of righteousness and maybe for a short period of time exhibit traits and they're overcome again the worst state is the the, the last state's worse than the first state he says this is not who we are no people that are born of God overcomes the world what does that mean well we can look in First John. We can look, just, I just looked for the word overcome in First John and had a lot of answers. First John chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. It means you overcome the evil one. We know who the evil one is, Satan. I write to you, young men, he, begins, he repeats again in verse 14. Because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And then in chapter three, he says, "Let no one, de- let little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and as he is righteous, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil." Pay attention. If you show up here on Sunday. And you're all cleaned up and dressed up, and you got the right face on, and you say, I love Jesus, and then you go out into the world and you make a practice of sinning, you are of the devil. That's what John is saying. Now, read the whole book of 1 John. It does not mean you must be perfect because John says that if you say you have no sin, you, you're a liar. You make God a liar. That's where confessing your sin comes in. Because if we walk in the light and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin. But we don't make a practice of sinning. And that's, that's the difference between uh, 1998, prior to 1998, and, and post-1998 of me. Before 1998, I made a practice of sinning. Now I practice righteousness. In fact, he continues in, in 1 John 3, he says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, he says. In 2 Corinthians, we read in for uh, chapter 4 verse 4 in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of un- unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ who is the image of god and he says in roman paul writes in romans 12:21 do not be o- be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good he says don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good And by the way, that's the people that are born of God. That's what they do. In Romans chapter in fact, we'll put that in context. and We'll look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, he says. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. And that is a symbol of repentance. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see the context? This is what people who have eternal life do. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he says this I I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, he says. Now, in context, back to verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in the figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you will ask on uh, the say to you that you I will ask on your Father's behalf. For the Father Himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative language. Now we know that you, uh, now... We know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God and Jesus says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone and yet I am not, al- I am, uh, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That, that video that Brother Steve played at the beginning of the service was moving. It's true. This, this woman has eternal life, and she did what people who have eternal life has. She overcame. She lost everything she overcame because Jesus overcame the world so we know that overcoming the world means overcoming the evil one but also if we, back in 1 John Chapter 2, we see this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, Father, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father but is from the world. The world is passing away with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. and I, when i read that i think of i think of the soils where where uh, the where seed fell on uh, on on the ground that when persecution came as jesus told it or when when the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches came it didn't produce fruit and that's someone that loves the world it's the world system that it lo- that he loves but people that are born of god they don't they, they overcome that the pull of the world the as it, uh, the 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 they don't follow the course of this world as in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 following the prince of the power of the air they don't I don't know about you but when I wake up every day and I read the news I don't love the world. I'm so I am so tired of seeing my God blasphemed and his name mocked. I'm so tired of it. I remember in Hebrews 11 I'm reminded that Moses it talks about Moses Hebrews 11:24 that by faith Moses when he was grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. <laughs> that video reminded me of this you people that walk away from comfort and safety because of Christ. That's what people who are born of God do. And I believe my friends that we're going to have that opportunity in our lifetimes unless God changes something. I believe that we're going to have the opportunity to walk away from comfort and safety for the name of Christ. Philippians 129. It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you not only believe in him, but suffer for his name's sake. Not only that, not only do you overcome the evil one, and uh, you overcome the, the one born of God overcomes the pull of the world, but they people that are born of God, they they overcome the lies of the world. The little children, first John chapter 4, 4, little children, you are from God, and have overcome them, and for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Overcome who? So we put it in context. Believe uh, first. That was First John four four. So we look at verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. In other words, quit being so gullible. Don't be gullible. Do yourself a favor and just don't turn on TNN or what is What is it, TBN? Is there a TNN? I don't know. But don't be gullible, he says. By this you know, therefore many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the incarnation. This is the battling of Gnosticism that he's talking about here. For this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now it is already it is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You won't be fooled by this because you have been taught by God. You know, in the end times, it says that it's going to be so bad that if if it were possible, you'd be even to fool the elect, but it's not possible. So, people that are born of God, they believe. They believe. They believe what the Bible says about Jesus. They believe He's the Messiah. They believe He's the Son of God. They believe He went to the cross. Believe that He's one that satisfied the wrath of God. They believe because they're born of God. They love those who are born of God, and it's not a burden. They obey the commandments of God because God's enlarged their heart and they overcome the world. And as I was studying this lesson, I began to look outside of the epistle of 1 John for more evidence of eternal life and I found a plethora. For instance, in Matthew 19, remember the guy that came up to Jesus and said, teacher, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And, of course, he walks them through the Ten Commandments, some of the Ten Commandments, and this guy's like, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. Reminds me of a Ray Comfort video, right? I'm good. I got it. And then he shows him that he are not good. Go sell everything you have and feed the poor. Go, just go give it to the poor. And he had a lot. But Jesus said this, at the end of that, that encounter, Jesus says this in Matthew nineteen twenty eight. Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, remember, this encounter took uh, took place in front of Jesus' disciples that had left everything. In fact, Peter said, we've left it all. And he says, and everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. And will inherit eternal life. And in the Gospel of Mark of this same, uh, and this same encounter, we, he, he adds, and children, he's left mothers and children and lands with persecutions, he says. So people who have eternal life, now, does that mean that you, you have to leave it all behind? no. we have to read it in the context of the Bible and we see, we go back to the Old Testament Job had a lot of stuff he was a very wealthy man and then was willing to lose it all I think of Philemon who Onesimus was it that ran away the slave, ran into Paul and Paul first Said to Onesimus and gave him the gospel and Onesimus gets saved and then he sends him back and he tells Philemon. Philemon, he was a, he wasn't off in other lands. He had he had a house to live in and stuff. So th- this doesn't mean that you have to leave everything. But I think we should heed the words of Jesus when he says, "If any man does not forsake all he has, he cannot be my disciple." So you got to be. You, the question is: Is if you lose it all, will you will you still submit to God? So, people that have eternal life, they they forsake they forsake it all. They use what they have for the kingdom. That is something that we shouldn't take lightly. I think it is dangerous for us to to get into debt so that we have to have our jobs. It's a danger. So that when our jobs asks us to do something ungodly, we hesitate. We should be in a position to where... Doesn't matter. People who have eternal life, they forsake all they have. If we look at verse of uh, chapter uh, Matthew chapter twenty-five, remember the parable of the talons? where Jesus gave five to one and two to another and one to one, each according to his ability, and then he goes away. That's Matthew twenty five fifteen. And the one that had five, the one that had two, they, they did something with it and had more when, Jesus, when the master comes back. But the one that didn't have only had the one, he buried it. And Jesus says, when he came and when the master came back, the masters rewarded the one with five and the one with two, but the one who buried it he said, Take it from him verse twenty eight and give it to him who has ten talents for one who has will be given uh will For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We know where that is. So people who have eternal life, People who have eternal life, they're not just living life, doing nothing. Do you hear this? In fact, here he continues in verse 34. Understand what people who have eternal life do. They use their talents that they've been given by God. Talent. And this isn't singing talent. Actually, this was a weight of measurement. But listen to what he says. For, uh, in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared to you from the foundation of the world. And he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and most likely because they were Christians. I was in prison, and you came to me. And they're going to ask, They ask, there's what the people who have eternal life, Lord, when, when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And he says in verse 40, and the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. In fact, he says to those that did not visit, did not give food or did not give drink or did not uh, welcome a stranger or did not clothe someone that was naked or did not visit someone who was sick or did not visit uh, someone in prison, he says, then I'll answer to you. I say to you, just as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Are you hearing this? You can't ignore this. Jesus is saying the people that have eternal life, they give, they give food, they give drink, they, they welcome strangers, they clothe the naked. They make sure that people are taken care of. I'm not saying they make sure they have a high standard of living, but they, but they have food and clothing. And they visit them when they're persecuted. That's what people with eternal life do. That should be in our lives. And he says here, if it's not, then you didn't do it to me. You didn't do it to the least of these. And, I, and, and you're going to be cast into eternal punishment. This is, this is something we cannot ignore. One more. In John chapter 4, and verse 13, this is the woman at the well, remember? And Jesus says to the woman at the well, and I'm, normally I would, for the sake of time, I'm not going to put it in context. I'm going to assume you know it. But John chapter 4, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give to him will never be thirsty. The water that I will give to him will become in him a spring of welling up to eternal life. Spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I, I just wanna I just want to show you in verse 23, he says. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. True worshipers in spirit, meaning that the Spirit's in them and the Spirit's producing fruit. So you're worshiping them. You're worshiping the Father because the Spirit is in you and because you are loving the brothers and patient with them and kind with them and you're gentle and you have self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, and you have to do it in truth. It's, not just, it's just not the, the love loving, but it's also speaking the truth according to truth, which is the Bible. He says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then in verse 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the field is white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. So I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You understand what he's saying here? That people who have eternal life, they actually sow and reap. And you might, you might witness to someone and just plant a seed. You just sow the seed. And then someone else later on, Jesus is going to send to reap that. But I don't want you to miss the fact that people who have eternal life are doing this. They're, they're sowing and reaping. They're actually, they're actually talking to their neighbor and their coworker about Christ. People who have eternal life, that's what they do. We're here. We're not in heaven for a reason. We're here to show the world Jesus by the way we love one another and by speaking the gospel. And if you're not doing either of those things or only one of those things, it's time to repent. There's more, but I think the time is short here. This is the evidence for eternal life. This is what should be in us. Believe what the Bible says. Love the brothers. Love God. Keep his commandments. And spread the gospel. Because this is what people with eternal life do. Lord, I thank you for this privilege in this time. And I thank you, Father, for your grace in my life and I know there are those in this room that have been shown much grace as well you are a merciful and gracious God Lord I just pray Father that the truth that's been spoken here will edify us and Lord that you will cause us to go out and show the world Jesus love one another and speak the truth and it's in his name we pray amen now it may be it may be that if you don't see these things in yourself you're not born of God I don't think that John wrote the book of first John to make Christians doubt their salvation I don't think he did that at all. I think he wanted Christians to know you. This you're saved, and this is how you know it. But there's when you read the book of First John, and I encourage you to do it today, in one sitting. It's not long. There's this. Well, you if if you're not in Christ, you'll know it from the book of First John because you can't walk in darkness and say you're in the light. You're lying so i would tell i would just exhort you to understand that god is light and in him there is no darkness and that he he chooses to bring the elect to him through repentance and faith the elect repent of their sin they turn from their sin they call sin what god calls sin And then they don't trust in their own righteousness, but they trust in the righteousness of Jesus who died upon the cross to pay a sin debt that we owed, not him. And the Bible says that all...